0: The True Tone Lounge podcast features audio-only versions of our video interviews. To view those, please visit TrueToneLounge.com or our YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash TrueToneFX. Hi, I'm Zach Childs and welcome to the True Tone Lounge. Today, our guest is Bill Crook.
1: Hey, Zach. Good good to have you here. Good to be seen.
0: Good, good. Bill is a uh, guitar builder of Note and uh, you can uh, see his guitars being used by a variety of stars you've you can see them on the uh, sides of 18 wheelers and in uh, commercials and uh, television and album covers and all sorts of things they end up in the strangest places and don't the, they the, the strangest places candy bar wrappers and can, yeah yeah you could only hope for such things <laughs> so so bill we we want to talk mainly about your guitar building but I wanna talk a little bit about what you did before you were a guitar builder. Tell us about that.
1: Okay. I spent 20 years on the road as an audio engineer mixing national rock and roll bands. Okay. Which was a big plus for the guitar building thing because I got to hear the guitars during the day, techs are playing them, guitar players. And on stage it sounded pretty good. But then you'd go out front of house to mix. It didn't sound so good. It didn't fit in the band situation so well. So it kind of got me thinking about why the difference. Okay, and what was the difference? Well, quite often, distortion sounds were too fuzzy, too much volume level differences between clean sounds, dirty sounds. Guitar players thought it's great, but front of house, it's weird that you have to turn down a clean sound and boost up a distorted sound. You'd think it's opposite. Mm -hmm. And a lot of guitars that sounded okay on stage just didn't translate into front of house. They sounded thin or they were totally muddy. You know, guys would talk about warm sounds. They wouldn't cut through a mix. Hmm. You know, it's weird when guys would play Telecaster and you're boosting upper mids on them. A lot of it has to do with just hearing. I don't think a lot of guys listen well, but it got me thinking about a lot of things you know, and you hear guys complain about fret buzz and actions and having to adjust truss rods when you're traveling. Like I was with America for years and you fly from Manila in the Philippines and end up in Boston, truss rods move.
0: Yeah.
1: And it yeah. can be, you know, so just it influenced me on trying to make things stable, serviceable, shouldn't have to tear half the guitar part to adjust a pickup or to adjust a neck. Because on the road, you don't have time for that. Right. As you well know. Yes. You know, yes. you show up and got a dozen guitars and they all need tweaked. Your day's shot.
0: Yeah, it, it is. So you you worked for the so how long were we were you with the group America?
1: I was with those guys sixteen years. I was front of house engineer, production yes. manager, worked as tour manager for a while, hated that part, babysitter, you know how that goes.
0: Yeah. And uh can you share with us like one one story from uh, your days out on the road with America? Yeah. So when I was with America, we used to do a lot of shows with the Beach Boys.
1: Okay. And Carl Wilson, who was a sweetheart, God rest his soul, and great player, really underrated. Yeah. But he basically had a couple great sounds that he used for that. And his tech was always trying to add pedals and all. He'd look at him, he said, I play guitar, I don't play pedals. And I thought that was just the best line ever, you know? He yeah. had his usable sounds that he used, yeah. and that's all he did. Yeah. But I thought that was one of the best lines
0: I ever heard. Yeah. I play guitar. I don't play, play pedals. pedals. Yeah. <laughs> so, what were Carl Wilson's use? You know, his his sounds that that he kind of did.
1: Well, you know, he had that the twelve string thing, and he played right. a lot of Epiphone twelve strings, a three thirty five yes. style. Yes. And then he had more of the surf sound for some things. Yeah. But it was basically clean, or and fat clean. Yeah. It'd be twangy, but like a fat twangy. It wasn't that scooped out mid. Right. That is annoying. Yes. And he played edgy for more distorted stuff, and then he had a louder edgy sound for his solos. And that okay. was it, you know? There wasn't a bunch of chorus pedals, there wasn't a bunch of delay crap going on, or compressors, or crank it up and play.
0: Yeah. So, how did you make the transition? So, so first, first off, how did you start uh, building guitars? Well, it started as a kid. I was a crappy guitar player. You know, <laughs> played
1: in some dumb bands, wasn't very good. Had some friends that were really good, you know, like
0: mm-hmm. Roger and Jimmy. So yeah. it's easy to realize it wasn't very good. Yeah. Just to back up for a second, uh, Roger and Jimmy are guitar players in the in the West Virginia, uh, yes, you know, Ohio River area. That Correct. Are Roger
1: Horde and Jim Miller. Yeah.
0: Well, well known players in that area. Yes. Great players.
1: And way. so obvious, you know, I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up working for a local PA company. Okay. That got me into audio, but I still kept doing playing guitar poorly. Mm-hmm. And then when I heard about the Fender custom shop coming out, I thought I can get the guitar I want. Well, no, you couldn't. Cause it was more like a Chinese buffet. You could get from one from column A, one from column B, but you couldn't get everything you wanted. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'll build my own. How tough can it be? It will be cheaper. Well, hundreds of thousands of dollars later. So it kind of grew from there. Okay. While I was on the road, I'd do repairs. I'd build some for local guys and all. Some of the guys I was on the road with, I'd do their stuff. Some of the guys in America, Jerry Beckley, Michael Woods, Dewey Bunnell. Mm-hmm. I built them guitars they used on the road. And that was cool to be able to hear them in my shop I had at the house then, but then to hear them in action. Cause then I could go mess with them and tweak them while they didn't know. You know, next day I'd adjust pickups to get what I wanted to hear and it yeah. was a great learning curve and then started doing stuff for Brad I was still on the road when the whole paisley thing started and okay. it just got to the point I was working every minute I was home plus as production
0: manager on the phone something had to go yeah. so uh, just so people know you know a lot of people probably don't know what a production manager does but they uh details they, yes they do all the details and they they call ahead and and make mm-hmm. sure everything from like catering to the PA and Every stage you know, hands, stage the hands vans from yes. the airport. They, yes, they do all, all sorts of the, uh, the the work You know beforehand before you show up. They make sure everything's lined up beforehand So so you were really busy with that So let's let's back up a little bit because I know a little bit about this story also because mm-hmm. I was I was around you were there I was around for, for some of it. So the first uh, guitar that you made for Brad Paisley. It was a. Uh, tell us about that one. The blonde one. Okay. Yes. Well, Brad. Now I'm old, so my memory might
1: be yeah. a little. Yeah. Brad got his record deal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Jimmy, at home, Jim Miller, and Roger Horton, I. We were all excited for him. We're all older,
0: and Brad, and he was like the young guy. Roger was his teacher. And y'all have known him for a long time. Yes. And like you said, Roger Horde was his teacher. And, and he got a. there was a, a lot about Brad Paisley's guitar style. Yeah, that, that apple didn't fall far yeah, from the tree. That I didn't understand until I heard Roger Horde play. Yeah. And I understood where he got all, because I kept thinking, okay, there's the the John Jorgensen thing, there's the Olander thing, and there's the some other elements together, but but it still doesn't make sense. And then I heard Roger Horde, and I was like, okay, Brad Paisley's guitar style makes sense now. Mm hmm. So. So I was
1: on the road, and we decided we're going to do Brad at present. Yeah. So we threw our money together, bought parts, building that blow telly.
0: Yeah.
1: Wrong guitar for him, but we gave it to him as a surprise, and yeah. Charlie McVeigh at the time wasn't putting in string benders, so we ended up buying one that McEwen isn't as name, yes. but that pull string thing that attached to the back.: Yes. And that was the first guitar
0: I ever built for Brad, okay. And then the, the next one was a was a Paisley, was a yeah. blue Paisley. So how did that come about?
1: Well, you know, Brad started touring. Yeah. I don't know if you were with him right at the beginning or you no. came in a little later. I came in a little later. Yeah. But anyway, he, all he had was old Pink at the time. Yeah, his 1968 Paisley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was doing a lot, fly dates. And he was worried about flying it, what happens to it. So he said, could you build me a Paisley guitar? And I'm like... What? Yeah. And he said, yeah, just do something, base it on my 68, but just don't do pink. Wow. He yeah. said, I'm a different color. Yeah. I didn't know crap about Paisley guitars, you know? This yeah. is p- prior to the internet and all the stuff posted. Some with America, I'm looking in wallpaper stores in Japan and Korea, and these little ladies are looking at me like I am insane, like, yeah. you know? Yeah. Couldn't find anything. I yeah. told Brad, it ain't gonna happen. Well, it did happen. I had a customer. He's passed away now, and I'd built him a guitar, and he's up in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And he goes, my nephew just bought a print shop. He had worked there and bought it out. So we went up there and sat for hours and built the pattern. Started out with a scan off an old Tokai guitar.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Built the pattern, though, but had to move it a lot and get it right and tweak and printed it. Okay, that works. Then I had to figure out how to paint it.
0: So then so then you've you've got the guitar body. Uh-huh. All sealed up. All sealed up. And then you you're gonna put the paper on the on the back and the front. Yeah and then and you trim, have to, trim it out. Yeah. And then you gotta figure out how to how to paint the sides and kind of burst. It. Yeah, because you have to well, this one has binding, Me, hand me that guitar.
1: You can see on the edges you can't see the paper. Yeah. You have to get enough finish over that to cover the edge to make it smooth. Right. So that was a learning curve. Yeah. And my background was painting cars with lacquer when I was a kid, so I tried lacquer. Looked great. Till it dried and shrunk. I was working out of my house, came down in the basement one day and it was the blue one for Brad. Mm -hmm. And the goal was to get it down for the fishing song video. Right. Shattered. Yeah, because it all shrunk and Uh then it just popped off. Yeah. So, <laughs> went, went to acrylic lacquer and that's what the blue one was because okay. it's a little more flexible. Mm-hmm. Got that down, his dad took it down, got it to him the day of the video shoot. And I thought, okay, that's done.
0: Yeah.
1: And then, of course, Brad being Brad, could we do this? Yeah. Could we do this? And it's yeah. been an ongoing 15-year relationship of doing Paisley <laughs> guitars and silly stuff for Brad. Yeah.
0: So I came into the picture right after that uh, that that song that video was, was the Brooks
1: and Dunn tour no, was that your no, first? The,
0: uh, no, the uh, the fishing song. Right after that uh, that song, uh, the video was done. I came on with him right after that. Okay. And so so basically at that point he had his old 1968 Paisley and he had that blue guitar and that was his backup and so mm-hmm. that's what that's what we uh, that's what we toured with and then. I can't remember if it was he or you told me. He said, "Well, there, there's two more. You know, Paisley's coming, and uh, and you made you made two more. You made a maroon Paisley because it matched Ben's
1: drum kit. Remember, I covered yes. that drum kit in Paisley, which I would never do again if someone put a gun to my
0: head. Yes, <laughs> it wasn't fun. <laughs> and then, and then there was a, uh, a a silver one also, a kind of gray. That was that black and white Paisley. Yes, that's it? right. It's black and white."
1: Yeah, different than this one yes. cuz this is the Pearl,
0: but yeah. 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 So, getting back to, uh, you know, of course, with your experience on the road mm-hmm. and the fact that, you know, with America, uh, you uh, you were doing front of house and then you were also building some guitars that the band was using mm-hmm. and uh, you started putting some features on the guitars to really help them be more roadworthy because you were thinking about in about them in a very practical sense. So one of the things that I noticed right away was that you had the truss rod adjustment, you know, at the headstock. So which makes so much sense. Yeah, because I didn't have to. I didn't have to take the neck off. And when you're touring, you know, like you said, going from Manila to the United States or yeah. anywhere else, you, you know, many times you have to adjust the truss rod. And so if you have to take the neck off. You know, versus, you know, versus adjusting at the headstock, there's a huge, you know, convenience factor in the fact that, you know, you, you can, you know, tweak it and keep, you know, keep working on other things. while it. a, yeah. If you got to take the neck, o- neck yeah. off, close yeah.
1: enough for who it's for by the third time, right? Yeah. I do everything. There's a, well, you know, Charlie McVeigh, the fellow that makes the benders. Yes. Great machinist. And he taught me how to measure everything like a machinist would mm-hmm. to the thousands. Yeah. My relief of my neck's measured that way. So having a headstock adjust rod, my straight edge, I can get it exactly to the thousands where I want it. Right. And we all know, I'm.
0: you have to pop that neck on and off. You will yeah. say, that, yeah, that's close. Yeah, but when you're able to adjust it there, you're yep. able to get it really close. And, it's, when you're, and when you're, you know, whether you're Brad Paisley or whoever else, when you're able to get the guitar you know, feeling and playing that much better without taking the neck off—it's mm-hmm. it's very advantageous. So, one of the other features that I noticed was that uh, your guitars—you know—they had they had shielding all, all throughout.
1: Hate yeah. noisy guitars. Yeah. I yeah. think it's a
0: sound man guy thing. Yeah, you know, but I mean, it makes perfect sense because for a sound man, if he hears a bunch of noise on a guitar, Mute. He, he just turns he just turns it down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or he'll try to EQ it out and make it sound like garbage. Yeah, yeah. So.
1: (laughs) You know, and some of the other things, like I use neck inserts. I don't use wooden screws to hold the necks on. Yeah. I hear a difference. There's more sustain and resonance because it really holds that neck pocket. Yeah. But if you do have to take your neck on and off, you don't have to worry about gluing toothpicks in there because you stripped out the screws. Right. You know? And
0: and also, uh, there have been a number of times where I, I took, you know, one of your guitars apart so that I could put it in, uh, in, in luggage or, or, or things like that when we went to Japan. You know? International flights are yeah, great, aren't exactly. they? Exactly, and you just take the guitar apart. And, yep. and when I, as soon as I got back to the hotel, I, I put it you know, right back together and restrung it and it mm-hmm. was ready to go.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you know, what, what are some other things that you, uh, you
1: do on the guitar? A lot of it's attention to detail. I'm really yeah. anal about fret work, nut work, where I want it to sit. And on the electronics, I'm lucky I work with a pickup builder, Peter Florence from Voodoo Pickups, mm-hmm. who's a great wealth of information. And I have that uh, rapport with him that I can ask for one of his pickups done at a lower output for one sound,
0: mm-hmm.
1: higher output for a different guy. Same pickup, sounds totally different. Yeah. And I tend to look at the whole electronic circuit. Like a lot of guys, it says they're 250k pot, they throw them in. Well, if you put a meter on them, they tell you there's a plus and minus of 20%, you can hear it. Mm A 200k pot, which is within 20% spec, sounds a whole lot different than 260. So I meter everything and even when I'm done, if I don't like something, I might go to a different value pot, different cap to get the sound I'm looking for. And I think, and I know a lot of players, the pickup doesn't sound right in here. Well, what's the rest of your guitar like? You mm-hmm. know, there's a lot more to it than just a pickup. Right. And even on just the guitar, you know, if you take the pickups in any of these, but the pots aren't reading right, and you have a two hundred k pot on the volume and a one ninety six on the tone versus what I use, it's going to sound a lot different. So, uh, so why do you use Peter Florence's pickups? I go back with Peters since the late 80s. Okay. One, I think they're the most open, uh, hard to describe, almost organic. A lot of people make great pickups, but there's always something about Peters that it just feels more open. Like I can plug a guitar with someone else's pickups and they sound fine but I unplug it and plug one in with Peters, it's like someone took the blanket off the amp. It hmm. just seems more open, the notes bloom,
0: and I haven't found anything better. Yeah. I've I've noticed with his pickups that it seems like all of them have just a little bit of hair on them, and they have a little bit more ag- aggression than other pickups, and while some pickup makers seem to to make pickups that can almost be compressed sounding. Sterile, yeah. yeah and, uh, but his pickups are always very, very lively and, and they always have, you know, it's kind of like his, his kind of rock attitude kind of yeah. comes out in his pickups and they, they always have a, a little bit of aggression to it, which mm. is what I think is a fantastic thing. Yeah, I agree.
1: I think, yeah. you know, growing up in New York City and playing in the bands he played in, yeah. I think that's how he hears things. Yeah. And I kind of hear it the same way because I didn't grow up liking country music mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. I'm not so sure I do now either, but yeah. some of it's okay. But uh, I hear more of that growl and pickups that he makes, and I really like that. Yeah. So let's, let's get a little bit back to, to Brad oh. Paisley. So how did you meet Brad? Working in a music store. His dad brings him in for guitar lessons. How old was he? Seven. Seven. Maybe eight, some, yeah. give or take. About the same size he is now, but you know. Yeah, yeah. And I'm talking to him, great kid. And I said, what do you play through at home? And he said, I got Deluxe Reverb. And I thought for a seven-year-old kid, that's pretty good.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And then, I, you know, it wasn't like we were best buds, but he was in the area and he would play with guys. But I was gone a lot. I was on the road. But he would be at Jamboree USA, the radio show, as a guest. And Roger would sneak him in with the staff band. And when I'd be home on break, a lot of times I'd go in and fill in, doing monitors or mixing studio broadcast. So I got to hearing maybe two or three times a year playing professionally, and saw
0: the progression he made every year. Yeah. Was he one of those guys that you felt like was just kind of naturally gifted, or was he someone that was naturally gifted and worked really hard? Yeah, he worked really hard. Yeah. Huh. I
1: can remember, he was in high school, maybe like freshman or sophomore. Lindy Fralin pickups had just come out, like he had his yeah. first ad in Vintage Guitar News. Yeah. I was living in an apartment at a time on the road. Brad gets a set of them and shows up and like, hey, can you put them in my Strat? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Next day, he comes down after school, so yeah, he's probably freshman or sophomore, but he was into gear even back then. Yeah. I remember his dad, I think it was a 62 reissue Strat. I think Brad had a day or two and sanded all the finish off the back of the neck. Yeah. Doug wasn't so happy.
0: So you met him at seven, and then you just kind of continued to stay in touch with him, and then as he got a record deal, you know, you made the, you know, you made the blonde telly, then you made the blue Blue Paisley, then you started making all these other guitars. Remember the Bucko Caster? I do remember the Bucko
1: Caster. It was the late night call from Canada. How do we do Paisley and Buck Owens and
0: put it together? Yes. And... That was that was a really neat uh, neat instrument in that uh, the way you worked the 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 binding and the silver sparkle and the paisley all together and the fact that you, know, you made two of them mm-hmm. and uh, you know one for Brad and then I w- I was there when he uh, presented the other one to Buck Owens. I was that was my last year with America and okay. I, I had a
1: New Year's Eve show at the Canyon Club in L.A. Okay, Brad and Kim were living out there. Was he married then? I don't remember. He was okay. But they were out there and I flew in for the New Year's Eve show and he got it a couple days ahead before New Year's and took it up the buck. I think you were yes, with him, weren't I you? Was, I was with him. So, yeah. that, that was a weird guitar because Brad wanted red, white, and blue, which John Paisley doesn't work. Right. Bad. But the yeah. coolest one was always Dawn Rich's. you know, the double bound metal flakes exactly. like this champagne one. Yeah. So we did the silver one and then did a silver sparkle paper with the black paisley, the same print that was on the black and white one, Mm -hmm. and Brad said it has to be double bound. Well, you can't use real binding with the paisley because you could never cut that paper that perfect edge. Right. I didn't know what to do, so I was thinking about it. I talked to my neighbor, Mike Kirk. He's a car pinstriper guy. He Mm -hmm. does all the pinstripes on, like Brad's red guitar. Okay. He took pinstriping tape, ran it all the way around one piece folds it over, and it looks like binding. This one's real, but the one on the wall is done with tape. Wow. You never know it, nobody knows it. I tell them, and once it's cleared over, you'd never tell, I can't do it. Wow. But he gets it, it's more accurate than binding when it's scraped. But he came up with that way so we could do the double black binding on that bucko caster.
0: I have one of those at the show, you'll have to check it out. You haven't seen one for a while. I will. I will. So tell us about the, so this guitar is a is a, a champagne sparkle guitar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, this this kind of looks it has kind of a that Buck Owens Don Rich thing, which uh you know, which I love.
1: Well, like for this show, I like to people will only order what they see. Yeah. So it gives me a chance, I try out new stuff, see people's reactions. Some of it like they like, some of it they don't. I've done silver flake, I've done gold flake, a bunch of different colors. I just did one for my girlfriend in a fuchsia metal flake, you know, it's different. Yeah. But I always thought the champagne was cool. Is it silver or is it gold? You know, the the look?
0: Yeah, because depending on the lighting. Yeah, exactly.
1: So how did you get into finishing? Well, when I was in high school, I started working for a friend of my dad's in a body shop, washing cars, changing bumpers taught me about doing body work. By the time I was a junior in high school, I went to trade school for auto body, but i already been painting cars by then, so I could do it in my sleep. And then my senior year, they let me out of school half a day to go to work. So it was pretty much from painting cars. Yeah. Did it for a couple years full time after I got out of school, hated it. Yeah. And thought, I'm done with this crap. But it really has been a big help in guitar building and finishing, because that was the old days of almost everything was acrylic lacquer. Very similar to guitar lacquer, the nitro. And then it was just coming into some of the modern finishes which is what I do mostly now because they work much better. They're more durable, you know. The biggest crap ever is guitars can breathe. You gotta (laughs) shoot them with lacquer. They're dead. (laughs) They're a block of wood. It's not breathing. You can't give it CPR, it's not coming back, you know.
0: Yeah. So you know, you started doing all these, uh, you know, you've done all these different kind of sparkle finishes and the paisley finishes. Now uh, you 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 finally you did a you finally did a, some pink paisley guitars, and you started doing some different paper. And so I had you uh, you know do up a body for me. Well, you know, you and, were around for a lot of the pink.
1: Yeah. Because that's always been the holy grail. Yeah. And. What I had for years was close, but it didn't have the textured paper. Right. That embossed paper, which is I looked into getting it made by the company Boardman Paper out of Columbus, but they've been out of business half dozen times, bought Mm -hmm. stupid money. Yeah. And they didn't even know if they could do it. Yeah. So a few years ago I had to change graphics and print people, and a lady in Wheeling figured it out. That is my normal Pink Paisley body. Okay. Relic, really golden like a lot of them. The paper is actually silver. You'll see under the pick guard where the UV light doesn't hit it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That one's pretty heavily golden like a lot of them aged. And you know, you can shift it a little bit with the tint, a little bit more, a little bit less. You know, the bursting, back in the 60s, red faded really fast. Yes. The combination of the pigment going away, the metallic, because usually they were shot with a silver base coat, and then that reddish pink, whatever color that's supposed to be back in the day. Well, as the pigment of the red faded, you still had the metallic undercoat. It almost turned it into candy apple. Mm-hmm. Then you get the clear coat on the top yellowing, and you get various hues anywhere from almost a brown. Some of them turn on almost green.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, of all the you know original Paisley guitars I've seen, they all look very different. Absolutely, because they had, depending on how all those all those factors you know came in, how much they bursted it, how much you know the different, uh, how much UV light. You know. mm-hmm. So I always liked the uh, the more goldish look. Yeah. That uh, that some of them got, and so when you when you did this one for me, I I, I said let let's go gold and and lightly burst it on mm-hmm. the edge and make the yeah the, I like uh, the, the thinner burst they look better yeah.
1: yeah here's a new one, it's the same paper, as what's used on yours mm-hmm. different print process okay but it still has the same texture you can see this one's yeah. lightly ambered hardly any right and it's lightly aged, but not all of them stayed as reddish as that. Mm-hmm. Some of them took on more of that this magenta color. Right. So I just wanted to offer a second variation, you know, cause I get bored easy. Yeah. You know, after 30 of them or whatever, Yeah. it's nice, but not everybody likes that flavor. I mean, yeah. so I just wanted to do something
0: different. So I just noticed, <clears throat> tell us about the, uh, the, the hardware that you've got here. Tell us about the, uh, the, the bridge and, and saddles that you're using on this guitar on almost everything. I use uh, vintage style made by Callahan
1: Guitars in Virginia.
0: Yeah.
1: It's a little thicker, which I like. Yeah. It has more mid-range to it. It's not as twangy. Yeah. But you don't hear people uh, complaining that tellies aren't bright enough very yeah. often, you know? <laughs> I like the sustain and the richness it gives it. Right. And I love his compensated saddles.
0: Yeah.
1: You know vintage saddles. Get, yeah. get the pliers out and bend the screw to yeah. get it closer. The angled saddles were an improvement, you know, where they were drilled on an angle and set funny. Right. But you got string slippage sometimes yes, bending st- on the E and B.
0: Unless you notch it. Yeah. Yeah. But this, this solves that. So yeah. who, who makes those saddles?
1: Bill Callahan from okay. Callahan yeah. Guitars. They look vintage, but they're milled on the top like you would mill an acoustic guitar bridge. Right. They intonate. You know, none of those weird overtones. Mm-hmm. It might not be for the purist, but I'm not building vintage guitars. There's a ton right. of guys that try to do knockoffs of those. Yeah. I'd rather have, I like the vintage look. You know, yeah. it's what I grew up with. But I think it's a big improvement over
0: the stock of 50s yeah. saddles. Yeah, that, one, of the, one of the big ways in, in which you can change the sound of a guitar a Telecaster, especially, is by changing out you know the bridge, mm-hmm. the material, the thickness, the the type of uh, of uh, you know, saddles and such. Like this, this is a you know a more you know vintage style bridge, and it's much you know twangier sounding. While that bridge gives it more mid-range and more sustain to it, and and then of course the the type of material that you use. So. Yeah. So I think you were one of the first guys to ever mix materials where you had different yeah. saddles of A long different... time ago. Yeah. So Again,
1: trying to get things balanced. Because mm-hmm. you know, as a player, if you get your high end where you want it on a telly, mm-hmm. quite often you wish that low end had a little more snap to it. Right. Or vice versa. Mm-hmm. You get that bottom end snapping, the high end's like an audio guillotine taking your head off.
0: Yeah.
1: <clears throat> so I'm talking to Charlie McVay, the bender guy, one day. Mm-hmm. He uses aircraft aluminum in his bender parts. I had him made me some saddles. The EA was kind of cool. It made it seem brighter. In hindsight, it was more a little bit scooped out mid as opposed to brighter, okay. but it was a step in the right direction. It got that E and A a little more balanced. Mm-hmm. Then I made, went to Callahan. they do a stainless steel set. I use the stainless steel on the EA. and mm-hmm. And to me, it really works for making that ENA pop with that twang you want. Right. But the brass on the others keep it a little softer and yeah. more even. Yeah,
0: because the the brass seems to be, yeah softer and have a little a little bit of compression. To mm-hmm. It. Yeah. So that's that's nice. so so you like to use steel on the ENA and then brass on the on yeah the, stainless steel. Yeah,
1: stainless steel because they're different than yeah. here in like cold rolled steel or hard yeah. rolled steel saddles. Yeah. I like the stainless.
0: Okay. So. So if a guy wants, wants one of your guitars, uh, what does he need to do? Usually
1: the first things email me. Yeah. That way I have his email, we can correspond back and forth. Yeah. And a lot of times they'll send ideas and I'll get going, but at some point I like to talk to them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of guys are intimidated because they don't know, they don't think they know, but they know more than they know, they think they know. Right. But a lot of times you can kind of talk to them, find out their musical taste, and that'll set the whole thing going, what they're looking for, that it's so hard to do with an email. Because one question on a phone call, you know, like, what do you play through, and what sound are you looking for? Well, if he says, I'm gonna sound like Brad, and I'm playing through a Fender Twin, it ain't gonna happen. Right. You know? For, for many reasons. Right. Yeah. Talent's probably one of them. Yeah. But you know, a Twin isn't gonna sound like a Vox. Right. So it's a whole different thing. But it gives you the idea of what they're looking for, which will affect what I recommend for pickups.
0: Mm-hmm. And so you'll, you'll try to tailor the guitar for the, for the player. Yeah, and, exactly. And what kind of sound they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And the hardest part is always the neck.
1: You okay. know, it's like trying to describe how much garlic to put in someone else's food over the phone. <laughs> you know, I like big fat necks, and yeah. I lot. no, but, yeah. uh, you know, I like baseball bats. Yeah, Nobody else does. Yeah. But it kinks my vision, because when they say a medium neck, I'm thinking to me, oh, that medium, that's about 880. No, medium's about small, like what's on your guitar, about an 830. Yeah. Which I... So, you know, I've had to learn that over the years, and I have some things on my website. There's a blog post that teaches people how to measure a neck, as far as nut width, thickness, radius, and it's step-by-step with pictures,
0: and it seems to help them, and most guys can get pretty close. Yeah. What are, uh, what are some things that you wish guitar players knew? You know, about, about adjusting their own guitars and also about getting sounds live. Yeah. Oh, so right. So give us like a, a point of view from a guitar builder and also from the point of view of a former, you know, front of house, you know, mixing okay. guy. Yeah.
1: I never want to see a guitar player doing this unless he's just looking. Yeah. You, that's about the worst way to adjust a truss rod A friend of mine does that and I tell him, the only thing you're gonna see is the other end of the guitar. That's right. A setup is actually very simple with some very simple tools and measurements. And if you measure stuff, you can do it consistently, that you can set up five guitars in a row to be so close that it feels like playing the same guitar. Mm -hmm. And it's not hard. So what tools do they need? They need a straight edge, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: some feeler gauges to set up relief, Mm And they need a small machinist yeah. ruler so they can measure string height. Right. And then well you know. Yeah. I showed you years yes. ago.
0: Yes, it, it makes it makes a big difference when you when you start <coughs> uh, actually measuring things instead yeah. of just Oh, a, that feels but, good. Instead of bagosh and bagaling. Yeah. So so uh Another uh, so that that's from a guitar builder point of view. What's mm-hmm. what's something from a, a front of house, you know, point of view? Playing tune. That's the first thing. Okay.
1: Not you know, it's yeah. annoying.
0: Yeah.
1: And the other thing is play the song. Okay. From the front of house point of view, play for the song. Nobody cares that you can play a thousand notes. You know, no more key ever sold a ticket cause it says God plays a thousand notes. You know, it's yeah. a singer up there. People come to hear music. Right. So play the song. When you get your time, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. But the rest of the time, just play the song.
0: Yeah. Play and, the song.
1: And the other thing is it's sound check, quit noodling around when they're trying to do monitors and all. When they tell you to play, play. The rest of the time, quit. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: How's that? that? That's 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 great advice. That's uh, we've uh the, uh, the kind of play the song. I've, I've heard people uh, put it another way. It's like, you know, play the song on the guitar instead, instead of playing the guitar on the song. Because <laughs> there's, a, there's a big difference.
1: Roger H- Hoard told me a story that, you know, he was a kid, but the hotshot player, mm-hmm. I think he says he's around 13. And he got hired to play with like the country band. So he said he's up there and he's playing every lick he knew and every song and he said they go out on break and steel player and singer out there having a cigarette. And Rod said something, he feeling kind of cocky and he said, how'd I do? And one of them looked at him and said, son, just play the damn song. And he pointed up here and said, there's no money at that end of the neck. All the money's <laughs> made down there. Just play the song, <laughs> which is true.
0: Yes, it is.
1: You know, what, a four-minute song got, what, 12 seconds of guitar solo?
0: Yeah, maybe.
1: Yeah, it, well, anymore, three okay. seconds of a guitar solo. Yeah. But just play the song. Yeah.
0: Okay, now give us one Brad Paisley story. <laughs> <laughs> All of them start out, you know the joke, no great
1: story ever started with, and we had a salad, yes. right, <laughs> you know? With Brad, the phone call is almost always, I have an idea. Okay. You fill in the blank because you lived through enough of that. Yeah, I have an idea. Yeah. A few years ago at the Nashville show, I had this red metal flake guitar with pinstriping that Mike Kirk did. I thought it looked really cool. I'm a car guy. I like that stuff. Yeah, pinstripe is cool on a guitar. Well, nobody picked it up at all. Brad saw it. He, you know, we're just talking. We're catching up on kids and stuff like that he has. And so I take it back home and I do a guitar show up in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. Totally wrong show for me. It sits there. Some am sitting there bored talking to Charlie McVeigh and I get a text from Brad. Did you sell that red guitar? No. He said, you doing the Pittsburgh show? I said, yeah. And he texts later, he said, you sell it? yet? Yeah. I went, no. So next morning I'm in my shop, I drove home, unloaded it and I get a text. Did you sell the red one? No. 30 seconds later, phone rings. He's in Sweden or somewhere. Mm -hmm. He goes, I want that guitar. I said, you don't want that guitar. I said, I used a neck that's too thin for you. The pickup's too hot. He goes, change them. I said, okay. He goes, I need it with a bender in it in a week because I'm going to play it on the awards show. Everyone has red guitars. I went, well then play the salsa one. He goes, oh, I stripped it paper off of it. It was ripping, (laughs) which he's good at stuff like that. I said, let me see what I can do. I called Charlie, hey, can you get a bender in this thing? Mm-hmm. He said, yeah, I'll put one in. I said, I need it like three days. Yeah, <clears throat> Had a neck, it wasn't the normal one for a neck that Brad normally was using, but it worked for him. Changed the pickup. Charlie got the bender, and a few hundred dollars in overnight cost, and he got it the day of the awards show. And they were playing outside in some pool in Vegas or something. And yes, but that's how it goes a lot of times with Brad.
0: Yeah.
1: Can we do this? Yeah, in a week. In a week. Or like after the flood when Chad was tech and Right.
0: I get the phone call about the flood. Yeah. This was in this was in twenty in twenty ten. There was a a huge flood in Nashville, and all of Brad's guitars and his set and basically everything for the tour, which they had just finished rehearsals for, were all at sound check, and there was this huge flood where the whole place was underwater. Everything was destroyed. Go ahead. Yeah, and so Chad
1: calls me freaking out. Doug did. Brad did. Yeah. They didn't know until they got in there, and then it was toast. Yeah. Yeah. And they hadn't started re- all the band rehearsals. They'd done tech rehearsals. Okay. So Chad and them get in there. You know, it's it's not clean water. No, water, there's so.
0: there's all sorts of <clears throat> sewage and diesel fuel and all sorts of things in the. water. And that's some yeah. of the better stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah.
1: So they drag it out, hose it off, like every other artist did in Nashville. But Brad got a tour going in twenty-two days. Yeah. It was called the H20 Tour, because I did the water guitar, that blue yeah. metal flake yeah. one. There's no irony there. No. So he needed guitars. Now he had a couple at the house that I built him years ago mm-hmm. that weren't down there, he wasn't using. Long story short, in them 22 days, I built four guitars for him with benders in them. He had bought a 52 reissue at that place out in California shops. True Tone, is that? Yeah.
0: It? yeah. Yes, out in Santa Monica. Yeah. yeah.
1: He sent it to me, I did work on it, got Charlie to put it in a, ben- put a bender in it, drove down here, they were at rehearsals, and I set up a bunch of guitars of mine, changed pickups to what he was using at the time. Because you know, Brad does that cycle, low output pickups, let's make them hotter, let's make them hotter, and then oops, too hot, let's go back to low ones. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it was on one of those cycles, so I had to catch up to where we were. Yeah. So drove down here in one day, worked I don't know, until stupid o'clock in the morning. Got up, drove back to Moundsville. I was spraying the water guitar, which you have to build up a lot of finish over the flake. But with the urethane finish, you can't spray whenever you want to. You got these windows. So on the way home, after having not slept and driven from Nashville, I went and sprayed clear on the guitar and then went to sleep for a little bit. And got him that guitar, the water guitar, it showed up in Virginia Beach at 3 o'clock in the afternoon day of the show, the first kickoff
0: of the tour. Wow. So it was a busy... Uh,
1: yeah,
0: it was a busy time. And if I remember correctly, you had some customers that gave up their guitars so that Brad could have some for his yeah. tour. Yeah,
1: there was a kid in Columbus, I can't remember his name. A lot of guys, past customers, were calling say, "Hey, Brad needs a guitar, he yeah. can have mine. You know, people are really nice, especially guitar players. Yeah. And uh, But the one kid, I was in the middle of it, and I called him and said, hey, you in that big a hurry? Yeah. And he said, well, yeah, why? And I told him, I said, i really like to steal this one. I'll build you another one, and we'll work out a deal.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, he, Brad was a big hero. He said, do it. So yeah. I finished it up. It went to Brad. It was the black and gold Sparkle Paisley. Yeah. And then built that kid another one.
0: Well, Bill, thank you so much for coming out. Thanks, buddy. It's a pleasure.
1: Great seeing you again. Great seeing you. We still on for Duck on Saturday night? We're absolutely going to have Duck. Perfect.
0: All right. Catch you later. See you guys. This has been an audio presentation by True Tone. -tone